Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, Episode 11, Milton Lawson. Hi there, everybody. Welcome along to Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My name is Len Sultana, uh, and each and every week we talk Comic Cons, Com Culture, and all the stuff and nonsense that we get to enjoy at such events. Uh, as always, uh, we don't have much in the way of uh, live cons, although we do have a couple that are actually happening here in the UK. Uh, I've been keeping a close eye on them, and I'm certain there's one or two small cons happening in the US as well. We'll get into a little bit of the uh, the politics and the uh, the ethics of that as we are in the current uh, pandemic state. We're also going to be talking about a whole bunch of conventions uh, which are doing the virtual effort uh, this weekend. We've got ourselves the storytelling across media, which has been organized by Comic-Con International. Um, we also have um, Baltimore Comic-Con. Uh, we have the, uh, the mainframe Comic-Con guys. They're on air right now, and they've got multiple halls happening. They're being incredibly ambitious, but have they overstretched themselves? We're going to get into all of that. Um, I do know that we're confusing a number of our American viewers uh, because, yes, the clocks are all over the shop. Uh, we usually find this around this time of uh, year uh, because uh, the uh, English summertime is now done and dusted. And also, um, I believe the American uh, clocks go back next week. Uh, so for one week at least, times are a little bit different. But it's 6 o'clock here in the UK. It's uh, 11 a.m. on the Pacific and I believe 2 p.m. on the uh, East Coast. We'll kind of determine times when we speak to my special guest in a second. Uh, but thank you very much indeed for joining us. Into the Blue Misters uh, watching. Wait, is it 5 o'clock? Is it 6? Is it 7? Have the clock's gone back. Uh, is it still 2020? Please let it be 2021. I've had enough of 2020 right now. Listen, um, I woke up this morning and all I could think was, hang on a second, you're going to give me another extra hour of 2020? I don't want another extra hour of 2020. I don't think anybody wants another extra hour of 2020. But um, yes, it's all about uh, time changes, but we're here. And thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, like I say, we're going to cover all of that at the back end, all the stuff that's happened with um, uh, Multiverse two weeks ago, um, uh, Megaverse, sorry, with the Repop. Going to deal with all of that because um, I think it's safe to say Repop will be looking at the numbers, they'll be looking at the audience uh, retention and being a little bit disappointed with what they achieved with that particular event. Um, if anything, we had the Lakes International Comic Art Festival doing their uh, digital version two weeks ago, and I think they could possibly feel a little bit better about what they achieved with their um, output. We'll get into all of that at the back end. Please do stick around. And of course, um, after half an hour, do please join us on the Patreon page because our Patreon supporters get the full episode, of course. Um, we'll do, put the full episode audio of this up tomorrow on uh, SoundCloud, Patreon, uh, sorry, yeah, SoundCloud, Patreon, uh, iTunes, and also Spotify. And then we'll upload the full video on Wednesday. So if you're watching this on Wednesday and you're wanting the full experience or you've waited for the full experience, welcome along. So uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And uh, it's great to also uh, see a guest that um, while he does have some stuff that's coming up, which he does want to talk about, he actually wants to uh, wax lipsodic about um, Comic-Cons and about San Diego Comic-Con in particular, which means it's a pleasure to have Milton Lawson joining us. Hello there, Milton. How are you, sir? 
Oh, hang on a second. Be on this show. Yeah, there we go. There Hello we go. There, How are you, sir? I'm doing. I'm doing good, considering you know that we're in the 2020 context. I'm really happy to be here. I've been a fan of the show for a long time, so it's it's a bit of a thrill to be here. Hey, listen, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. Um, with As you know, uh, with uh, this particular run of episodes, what we've been doing is starting off with three questions. Uh, so that's what we're going to start with. Um, I have got my brew to hand with my branded cup, which a friend of mine printed up for me. Thank you very much. Our cup of tea. Um, so I've got some PG tips in this. What is your beverage of choice? What have you got to, ha to hand today? Well, at the moment, I've... Uh... I have uh, quickly just grabbed a bottle of water, but I do have a fantastic cup um, from the fantastic American comedian Bill Hicks. Oh, um, I am a huge fan. Oh, a huge fan. I, oh, wow. I thought you were, yes. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, he has a joke, and it's, I'm just skin uh, covering coffee and some real nervous teeth. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, I'm, I am a huge fan. Um, I've got all of the DVDs and I've got this book upstairs with the scripts as well. So no, I'm touched by that. That's that's fantastic. Excellent stuff. Uh, the second question I've been asking is your first Comic-Con. Uh, can you remember it? Um, and did you go as a, a, a fan or did you go as a pro? Um, how old were you? Your first convention memory, sir. My first convention memory was at a local show in Houston, Texas. Uh, it was one of those kind of shows that was in the hotel of a ballroom. Didn't even have a name as far as I know. It just, oh hey, God. there's a show happening. Um, and it was out during uh, the final issue of Craven's Last Hunt being published. Whoa, it, okay. It just, it just so happened Mike Zeck was there. Um, and I was still young enough and at the age of that I, I didn't fully comprehend, um, you know, marketing and scheduling and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I didn't even know he was there. I didn't even know he was one of the people associated with Craven's Last Hunt. And I just happened to be reading it and, of course, loving it. And um, I, I, I learned that he was the guy. And so I, I happened to have all of my issues with me. I went and got him signed, um, but I had not read the last issue yet. And so uh, he, he said, you know, my favorite thing about this story is that there's, you know, no climactic confrontation between Spider-Man and the antagonist here. And I'm like, you know, what? Spoiler. <laughs> we didn't even have the word spoiler <laughs> yet. <then. So laughs> oh, man. Um, Craven's Last Hunt was one of the first big series runs which i i got into when it comes to american comics i i, I mean I, I talk about um my comic history quite a bit um when it comes to american comics because when i started properly getting into collecting dc was doing um uh, millennium and uh, the justice league international so i'd been reading justice international for about a year uh, and then millennium started which is not one of dc's highest uh, high bars uh, when it comes to their event series. Uh, but then um, I was also reading um, on the Marvel side, I was reading uh, Craven's Last Hunt, and I'd say it was the first multi-title because um, it crossed over the different Spider-Man uh, yeah. titles at the time. Um, and it was the first one which I just went out and got all six issues. And yeah, uh, it, it was, 
it's it's really coincidental you bring it up because I also watch the uh, comics tropes um, podcast about it, um, which um, Chris did, um, and he kind of broke down uh, the the storyline and broke down the influence of the whole thing. Um, yeah, this is coincidental that you bring it up that because no, that's that's a comic run that's very dear to my heart. Uh, so no, that's fantastic. As mine as well. Yeah. And the third question I've been asking is um, those uh, people that you meet, like you say, you're a little bit young to uh, understand who Mike Zek was, uh, but I'm <laughs> certain that you've met some people at conventions where you've just gone a little bit wobbly at the knees, a little bit cotton mouth, and just been a little bit awestruck by the uh, the people you're speaking to. Who has been your big uh, kind of uh, <laughs> brain removal moment when you've uh, met a creator? I, I suppose the obvious answer, I'm one of the fortunate people who uh, did manage to get a quick photo moment with uh, the great dearly departed Stanley. Um, you're in a you know massive line or queue as you guys call it, um, and you're waiting and waiting, and you're in and out of the little photograph tent, you know, in 30 seconds or something. But uh, the interaction was fun, and you know, Stan, he was Stan, um, and uh, it was just uh, it was just quite a um, Quite an amazing uh, uh, interaction, you know. I revered the man for so long, so uh, I, I really enjoyed that quite a lot. I've, I've got another one of those stories I could tell you about uh, in in another context uh, oh, okay. as well. <laughs> Just uh, one year, I was at San Diego Comic Con, and I was actually uh, scheduled to do something similar to this. I was uh, doing an appearance on a video podcast, and I had scheduled myself. Uh, an opportunity to do this, but I had I had miscalculated how long uh, the the physical walking distance was, um, and it was one of the few years that I I managed to actually have a room in the in the hotel that's attached to the convention center. I think that's the oh, Marriott, that's if I recall. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I was I was hustling uh, with reckless abandon from the farthest edge of the convention center all the way to get back to my hotel room to, to record a video. And I rounded a corner uh, going at full tilt and almost ran smack into Heather Graham. Uh, oh, wow. the, gorgeous, the gorgeous actress. The gorgeous Heather Graham, absolutely. And, and, you know, it was a moment where the traffic was really low. It was like an awkward spot in the hotel. So I wasn't, ex even though San Diego was always crowded, I didn't expect to see someone. And of course not to see Heather Graham. So I was just completely stunned and lost the capacity to even speak, you know? <laughs> so when you say wobbly in the knees, that was definitely wobbly in the knees for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I think she showed up on uh, TV over here re pretty recently. And I, all I could think was whatever happened to her? Because uh, she's one of those actresses <laughs> that um, I put her in the same kind of category as uh, Michelle Pfeiffer that's a little bit um, underappreciated for her acting skills because everyone right, just seems, right. oh, she's, she's the, the, the blonde ingenue. She's just this pretty, um, the pretty face that um, some films would get in. But um, Michelle Pfeiffer can act. <laughs> um, Heather Graham can act. Uh, so no, I, it's yeah. That's that's really cool. Um, yeah, another uh, another uh, individual I'm a big fan of. So no, I'm partic particularly jealous of that one as well. So <laughs> excellent. Um, so more people know who you are. Um, let's have a bit of an introduction then. Uh, so Milton Lawson, 
Um, you're in uh, Houston at the moment. What time is it over there, by the way, for you? It is 1 p.m. You were absolutely correct in calculating the time zones. Excellent stuff. Um, and uh, so tell us, um, first and foremost, um, a little bit of, about yourself and certainly uh, your uh, kind of like your history getting into uh, uh, comics writing, because it's not just comics either. You are a writer across uh, uh, many uh, medias. But no, uh, Milton, Milton Lawson, who, who are you, sir? Uh, I'm a comic book writer uh, based in Houston, Texas. I've, uh, as you said, I've, I've done a lot of different types of writing. Um, I started out as a journalist um, and I, I worked in a capacity that wasn't, wasn't traditional journalism. It was more like emerging internet journalism and actually video stuff. So I did some video editing for a platform and um, I'm, I'm a lifelong fan of uh, movies and comics. And um, I first, I wrote a, a memoir about some travels around Europe. Um, and then uh, I focused on trying to write movie scripts and um, a TV series that I was gonna direct. And uh, it was early on in the sort of craze of web TV phenomenon. And I uh, quickly discovered that um, although I could probably write some good TV stuff, I'm not, uh, I don't have the skills and capacity to be an on-set director and consume the millions of bits of data that are streaming into the, the decision zone and be able to quickly uh, you know, meet everybody's needs, answer everybody's questions, and deliver the product that's in the vision sphere. So I, I sort of decided I need a I need a simpler um, uh, format to um, try to express the the visuals that I have in my head. And by simpler, I don't mean you know the capacity of the medium. I just mean the number of interactions that are happening at a given second. So I. Um, I made the switch to writing comics about 10 years ago. I've, uh, I've been learning craft. I've been a uh, member of the Comics Experience Workshop that's shepherded by the legendary Marvel editor, Andy Schmidt. Um, oh, wow. uh, he's, he's most known for probably the Annihilation event. And, um, you know, he, he's the guy that kind of basically defined what the modern version of the Guardians of the Galaxy is. Um, and he runs a workshop for writers and artists. And I've just been learning how to write comics in that workshop uh, for several years now. Uh, it's quite a struggle uh, to, you know, even even if you're someone who's read comics your entire life, the, the medium writing for it is a lot different than writing for other mediums. And so you have to unlearn a, a lot of the habits and things that you do in other formats. Um, so I went through that process, wrote, a number of horrific scripts that I'm glad never saw the light of day. Um, and uh, I did a few shorts uh, to try to uh, learn how to do the, uh, the comic world. One of them was uh, published in a small anthology. Um, and uh, in a week or two, I'm finally going to have my first published uh, comic book miniseries. Yep, which we'll get into. Uh, we are going to talk about that and uh, uh, let you uh, explain that and let people uh, find out more about how they can get their hands on that. Um, what's the biggest thing that you've learned when it comes to 
um, learning comics and learning the craft of comics. Um, what's the thing that you've taken most away over the, the 10 years that you've been uh, doing this? What's the, because obviously it's like you say that it's a different, it's a different craft. Um, I, I've hosted a couple of writing panels recently where um, they, they were talking really about the turn and they were talking about um, uh, pacing for the, pa the, the page and really kind of uh, breaking a page down. And uh, it's something that I, I find fascinating. Uh, so what's the thing that you've really kind of uh, learned over the last decade? I think the thing that I've learned the most about writing comics uh, is learning how to right size a concept into a given page count. Uh, so if I'm writing a, a five page short or an eight page short or a full 22 page uh, standalone issue or an issue in an arc, um, I, I believe I'll disappoint everyone by being unable to articulate what I've learned very well. Maybe ask me again in five years and I'll be better at doing it. But in the earliest days, I, I would try to cram the equivalent of a one hour television pilot into 22 pages um, because uh, you think of, you know, this is your introductory chapter in both medium. And uh, I just, think of, uh, you know, I experienced probably a lot more television than movies. I uh, see uh, a visual story being told, and I have an intuitive understanding of what fits in that. And so I started out trying to cram that into the quote-unquote equivalent in comics. And what you quickly find out is, no, that is not the equivalent in comics. Um, it's more like you're you're introducing the first act almost um, and learning that um, because you um, you want to you want to bring everybody into this world you've imagined as quickly as possible you want to tell them all the goodies that you you're, you're ready to uh, convey and show the ride that you're going to go on to um, and in 22 pages in a comic you really can't do that you've got to rethink about what you're doing so that I think that is the primary lesson I've learned. Um, I'm starting on a new project with a friend of mine that began as a two hour television pilot. And um, I've gotten to the point to where I've figured out, you know, I just read the script one time and I said, okay, this is where issue one ends. And my co-writer on this, he's never written a comic before. He's like, really? Like, yep. This is where issue one is going to end. So I think that's really the first thing I've learned is just how to, what you, how many elements you can fit in in a given page count? That makes sense. Um, I, I mean, something we're going to also talk about is the the way of getting that kind of story and a, a comic uh, out to the world um, because it's a very busy landscape out there for uh, creators. People are wanting uh, to uh, tell stories in this medium, even if perhaps um, it's, it is just a, a very busy uh, marketplace. Um, and I know that you you want to talk about uh, San Diego Comic Con. You want to talk about conventions, uh, which is great because that's what I love to talk about. Um, yeah. But I, I often find, or I I must assume that for a creator, um, you you start with the the thought that you're going to take um, a project to San Diego Comic Con or to a large con and uh, make your big splash. But then you realize just how. 
um, many people are trying to do the same thing. And it's a, a very large um, pond to try and make a splash in. Um, have you taken books to um, events like San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con or any of the convention? And uh, what's, what was your experience of doing that? So um, I, have, I have not yet taken like a pitch to a con and approached an editor with. Um, I know a few uh, comic creator friends who have successfully done that. Uh, what I have done mostly is try to uh, take finished products and hand those over to editors. Um, luckily, I, I have two shorts that are just eight pages in length. So I feel like if a conversation is going well, um, that's not too much weight to put into someone's duffel bag. Sure. Um, and so... Um, I mean, you're uh, also proving that you've, you've got a completed product. I mean, I think that's... Um, when I've been talking to um, uh, pros at conventions, and they talk, and they talk about the, uh, the people that are bringing um, pages or sketches or um, any kind of um, creative work to their table or whatever, uh, what they're wanting to see is, number one, that there's some actual skill there. Uh, but also they're wanting to see that you can complete the work. It's okay doing sketches and it's okay doing uh, like big splash pages, but they want to know if you can do sequentials, if they, if you can do, um, if you can write, if you can actually take the product to term as it were, um, possibly not the, the right term, uh, the phrase to use, but I'll use it. That's what I'll go with. <laughs> um, that, so that they, the, the pros that I've um, spoken to, they just, they just want to know that you can do the work. Um, and I think if you are you are actually taking a completed printed story, that must be. I mean, surely that's some something where they just go, ah, right, okay, this guy means business. He can he can do the job. Yeah, and uh, two points on that. First, especially for artists, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, sequential pages because in addition to you know being a creator, uh, trying to uh, learn how to get published. Um, I'm also temporarily, I guess, a small businessman hiring artists um, for uh, various projects. So I'm always on the lookout for artists. And I'm, of course, around tables where artists are approaching other artists that uh, they want to show their portfolio and everything. And I've always got my eyes out like, okay, I'm going to get this guy's business card if he's good. You know, she's great. He's great. Uh, and so I've always got my radar on. And it continues to astound me people that have had like years of effort uh, and no sequential pages, just all pinups, all sketches, all character design sheets. Um, and it's all promising and fantastic. Uh, but for myself, I would rather take a chance collaborating with someone who has, you know, perhaps C plus sequentials versus nothing but A plus pinups and also uh, a good uh, sense of um, where to place the characters to leave space for um, speech bubbles and um, dialogue uh, so yeah. it's not all everything crammed into the uh, the image crammed into the panels leaving space for uh, the dialogue to uh, keep the story driving and keep the uh, the project moving forward um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, I think that's a, something that a lot of young artists don't quite grasp. Um, and then again, I've also yeah. uh, heard that certainly from a writing standpoint, there's also those writers that 
overload their page with dialogue so that there's no, oh, yeah. no space to put anything. You I have was, to be very I, efficient. You have to be very efficient, I can imagine. Yeah, I was very guilty of that in the early days as well. And in fact, I, I kind of felt um, a little bit of an embarrassing kinship with one of your countrymen, uh, Jonathan Ross, the first time he, he tried to do a comic. It was a little bit, the word count was a little bit high. Um, he got better over time. Um, and luckily, the artists I've worked at have worked with have been a plus talent. Uh, so they've saved my butt on a number of occasions. So <laughs> I, I'm lucky there. Excellent. Um, so in terms of uh, your comic convention history, and certainly when it comes to San Diego Comic Con, how many times have you gone? Uh, what, what, what was your first? And um, yeah, what was the, that kind of uh, first year like going to San Diego? So I think I've gone a total of, it's either six or seven times. Um, my first one was 08. Um, and I believe that was the year uh, Zack Snyder brought Watchmen to Hall H. Um, and I think I just happened to luck into the last time that you could be somewhat spontaneous uh, as far as like registering and showing up to uh, panels and things, um, the the entire sort of pre-planning uh, superstructure of media that you and the folks at the unofficial blog and friends of CCI have all sort of created. Uh, I don't think the need was quite there yet in 08. Like, you know, you could, I literally walked into the Watchmen panel. Like you yeah. can't even fathom something of that magnitude happening, you know, without you planning, you know, weeks in advance, how you're going to be in line in time uh, to get to something like that. So the first time I went, I had, I had not yet made the decision to transition to comics. So I was, I was working on a web TV series at the time. So I was, I was going to panels more focused on that. Um, I went to the um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia panel that year that was moderated by Damon Lindelof uh, and we actually just sat around and talked to Damon Lindelof in the hall afterwards nice you, you can't imagine that happening now um, so uh, it was just I think it was just right at that pre-twilight moment where everything sort of changed um, and so I got I've gotten to see see it evolve over time I think 2010 I mean 2010 was my first year um you, you're right the the the, the kind of in, infrastructure infrastructure for news and support for comic-con wasn't there i mean for 2010 i mean i was just going through every youtube video i could find um i was trying to get my head around the the geography of the whole thing and just the amount of people that was going there and frankly when we did arrive it still wasn't enough um so i mean th at that point i was uh, i was definitely on the uh, the facebook page and this is back when, obviously, there was um, group uh, ch uh, chat threads and when it was actually a useful tool for uh, kind of putting together, like, mini forums. Uh, mm -hmm. And the, uh, the, the one uh, for the uh, Comic-Con uh, Comic International, which was, uh, I believe, at that point, some like 80,000 uh, subscribers at that time point or fans or friends. And uh, uh, that's where I met Alyssa. That's where I met um, a whole bunch of... Uh, other people that were um, doing their 
best to get information out there. And then as I was going over the, the years afterwards, I was finding that I was finding a lot of information before a, a, a lot of others, possibly because here in the UK, there's the time difference. While everyone's asleep, I was collating all this information. Then it was a case of putting out um, around so like midday in the morning here in the UK, and people were waking up to stuff. Um, so I was I kind of got a little bit of uh, traction in that regard. Um, but 2010, like I say, it was yeah. It, I'm not going to say it was my fault, <laughs> but 2010 <laughs> was the 2010 was the the year when, and it was the last year which you could actually go. And I did this um, because 2010 was also going to be a one-off bucket list. It was the centerpiece to my honeymoon. It was a one and done. Um, and I was walking through uh, sales. I had $200 in my pocket. Um, I, I was going to catch it with Caroline, who was in Ballroom 20. They had the, uh, the badge sales uh, booth that was open. It was just there. There was a very bored-looking person who sat behind the counter. And I had $200, and that's how much it was for the badges for the next year. And I just went, can I buy two weekend badges for next year, please? And said, yep, there you go. And it was five minutes done and done. It was just, it was just uh, an incredible thing. And like I say, 2010, it was just, from there, it just got nuts. Um, and I think it was that year that um, obviously Hall H, you had the full Avengers cast come out as well. So you definitely had the, the, the full media uh, element just kind of, really taking over Hall H and the television taking over Ballroom 20. So things just uh, exploded from there. Um, so I kind of came in, uh, to use the surfing analogy, right on the crest of it, just as that wave was starting. Um, so um, when you uh, have emailed and uh, said that um, uh, sites like myself and uh, the unofficial blog and Friends of CCI uh, helped you uh, go to um, San Diego Comic-Con and get, certainly as the engine really kind of picked up into uh, some serious life around 2012, 2013. Um, it's it's incredibly flattering to hear you say that. Thank you very much indeed. Um, but it's, it's absolutely, when... you know, it's, it's, uh, it became very quickly um, uh, a, a need to you know, almost approach the event like like a tactical military mind. So uh, you need all you need all of the intel you can get to to maximize because it is quite an investment in time and resources. Um, and for myself, when I would go, I sort of had a dual agenda. I had the agenda of the creator trying to learn the craft. Well, actually, a triple agenda as a creator. You know, early on in the phase, trying to learn craft. Um, also, uh, as an aspiring creator, trying to network, um, but then also just as a fan, you know, there to enjoy what's there. So figuring out how to how to measure out those values and goals, and uh, you know, maximize your time, uh, your podcast, and those other sites were invaluable resources um, and played played a big part in in my ability to meet the right person at the right time and learn the right little piece of wisdom that you need at that moment. That That's one of the interesting things about going to panels for me is there's a certain nugget of wisdom that you may have heard two or three times before and not paid attention to or not been open to. And, uh, you know, one day you might go to seven panels and out of all of them, you'll only absorb three specific lessons 
but if they hit you at the right moment at the right time, the the value of that is is just amazing. Sure, I I find it really interesting the contrast between myself and uh, my wife Caroline, the missus, uh, because yeah, I come in and do the whole spreadsheet thing and break down the panels and break down the uh, what's appearing in every corner of the convention because uh, I, I feel I want to try and if, if not just for myself but also to impart that to other people so if, when people are wanting to find out more about um, a certain interest uh, like I don't know um, yeah tabletop gaming uh, pinball machines VR I don't know I, I want to be able to at least say, ah, well, I know that you can go to this corner, to that corner, to wherever. So I I'm, I try to get into the metrics of the whole thing. That's pretty much where the website has, has come in. But then you've got Caroline, who doesn't look at the lineup and schedule for the weekend until preview night when we've got our books in our hands. Uh, she's, <laughs> the one that, she's the one that will just freewheel. And she loves that because then she can literally fall across her next favorite thing um it, it'll come out of nowhere she will just it'll just come up it, she'll it'll, she'll just walk into a room and it will just oh that's interesting okay i'll look into that and next thing you know it's something that um she it really kind of catches her attention and i think that between the two of us uh we kind of uh somehow between the two of us we find a middle ground and uh, we, we definitely have that uh, Carola, uh, a whole bunch of numbers there. Hello there. Thank you very much indeed for watching on uh, uh, Twitter Periscope. My first year in 2000, they didn't even use the entire show floor. Yeah, I've seen pictures uh, which um, uh, uh, like uh, uh, Jill Thompson has shown me and um, uh, like, um, uh, Heidi McDonald have shown me as well of early years of, uh, oh, sorry, around the sort of like 2000 time when they didn't have uh, the entire use of the uh, convention floor. And I think this was wow. even before the extension. Um, and it's, it's, been, it's, it's an idea for a personal project of mine. I would love to do a book on the history of Comic-Con because we've obviously had the, uh, the documentary, which Morgan Spurlock did, and that was about the vibe and about the passion and the things that people can enjoy and the fact that, that it is a pop culture convention and kind of balancing all the disparate elements of what the convention is and how the attendees feel about going to a convention. But I think there's a real um, story about the history of the convention as well, which I was hoping there was going to be more of um, coming out of the 50th, out of uh, 2019. I was really hoping there was going to be more of that. Um, Certainly, like the the very early years, uh, the the first couple of years when there was 120, 130 in the room, moving up to the El Cortez when there was 200 and whatever, and then moving down to uh, the very small convention, the, the, just the way that it's just grown and developed into this monster. And I think it would be a good time to write that book as well, considering we are now seeing in 2020 and 2021, uh, effectively a control alt delete of the whole thing. And it, we could be seeing a whole brand new convention starting next year. It could literally be a, a reset. I'm going to put that question to you then. What do you feel that the convention is going to look like next year for yourself? For myself, specifically on San Diego, I'm, uh, I'm very confused because it, it seems like if the most optimistic reports are accurate 
um, that, that would, it, that would be it, me. <laughs> it, it would be conceivable that we would have enough vaccinated individuals out there to where people could feel safe enough to go somewhere like uh, San Diego. Um, but I think it's, it's entirely contingent on those, those optimistic readings being true. I think other conventions might be able to, you know, tiptoe out a little bit earlier than others, uh, just because the, the amount of density that they have in a given moment is not uh, as insane as San Diego. But if you go to the show floor, San Diego, especially on Saturday, um, you know, if, if one person has it, everybody's going to have it. It's, it's just, there's just so much shared compression of uh, personal space and it comes in unpredictable ways. Uh, you can be like me and try to, I try to avoid as many of the giant, uh, giant panels these days. And I try to pick and choose uh, things to where I, you know, maximize the amount of things I see uh, because there's so many, you know, fantastic opportunities. Um, and I, I still try to focus uh, on, on the comic stuff mostly. And I think there's a, um, uh, there's a little bit of a wrong narrative out there about San Diego. You know, there's this narrative out there in the, in a lot of people's perspectives that San Diego has, has just totally become Hollywoodified and is only about TV and film and stuff. And that's, that's what gives a lot of the coverage. But if you're actually physically there, it's still kind of the best comic show there is still. Absolutely. Um, there, well, I mean, it's you know, something that I it's something I put out um, for the 2019 show because uh, that argument rose its head again uh, for 2019, and I, I think I actually went through my schedules for the last four years because I had them on spreadsheets, so I was ready to go through them all, and I put organized them by media, by gaming, by television, by uh, comics, and when comic panels were still clocking in at something like. I think it was like 78, 79% average. That's a pretty high content rate for comics. That's yeah. that, that's incredible. And that's something that I think Comic-Con needs to re remind people every once in a while that there is this incredible Comic-Con that's yeah. still there. And, and you can go to a panel, like a panel specifically just for editors. Um, and it'll be in one of the, you know, small to medium size uh, rooms. Um, and, uh, there'll be, you know, four or five panelists, uh, like someone like Joseph Village and in the room, probably a lot of aspiring creators, but there'll be a lot of people in that room and they will ask very good questions. If you've got a good moderator, you'll have fountains of useful information there. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of that. And I wanted to compliment you specifically. That's one of the things I've, I really liked about your approach to this is that, you know, some of the other folks, they focus more on the movie TV stuff, but you have a comprehensive approach to it. But uh, you said, you asked me specifically, I'm torn. I, I need, I do you need think to feel be, I mean, do you th What do you think is in terms of like the numbers? I mean, we've obviously been hearing about um, that we're not going to be seeing that many people returning badges. Um, it's going to be the the kind of like the same rollover from uh, this from this year, which which would have been your 120, 130,000 badges um, ballpark. Um, 
I'm wondering how many of those 130 people, 130,000 people, will actually attend. Yeah, and then also, uh, I've lost a little track of the narrative on this one, but the year that I was it 2018 that they that they put the little scanning stations in every uh, entryway and yeah, the RDI, uh, RDIF, yeah, that was um, that was 2018. Um, there were they, a lot introduced, of, they introduced uh, WonderCon 2017. And there were a lot of fears about that, you know, creating bottlenecks and ruining the experience. But I, I was in the camp of this counterintuitively improved the con and kind of exposed that, oh, wow, in the last five years, there were a lot more fraudulent badges than we thought, because I felt that the flow went a lot smoother. Yeah. Um, so if the if the authorities decide that the way that they're going to make their decision uh, as to whether or not to have the show is going to be based on a certain number. Let's say that number is like 75,000. Just, I have no, I'm just imagining. Um, sure. They, they at least have a lot more confidence now that when they say that number, that number is a lot more um, reliable that you can estimate that that's actually the number of people that will physically be there. Um, you know, I don't know. I wonder if they're thinking about uh, doing more of the outdoor uh, sort well, of. Well, that's the that's the thing. thing. That's the thing because that's the thing that I've been thinking about the most. Um, because the, I mean, the tagline that I always use when it comes to describing San Diego Comic Con is it is not SDCC at the San Diego uh, Convention Center. It's SDCC at San Diego. It takes over the town. Um, and we've all kind of wandered out into Gaslamp and into the surrounding areas, and it's a throng. It's a massive crowd of people. That is not what we need in this current landscape. Now, admittedly, we are talking ten months down, uh, nine months down the line, um, but still um, without uh, a... So, I mean, you can really look at it from uh, two perspectives. You can look of inside the building and outside the building. Inside the building, it's whether we're going to have legacy um, artists and creators showing up because they're not going to want to leave their house unless there's a vaccine. And I've spoken to enough over the summer, and they've literally just turned around and said, unless there's a vaccine, I ain't leaving this basement. And I went, they were real. They were adamant about that. Okay. And then you look outside of the, the uh, convention center and how, if we don't have a vaccine or if where the landscape lies next summer, how you can sort of like organize that amount of people in a unorganizable space. I think that that concerns me. Um, but then again, there's there's so many variables. There's so many elements. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, myself and Caroline have turned around and said, um, if the unthinkable happens and uh, somebody gets reelected uh, in two weeks' time, we ain't that enthusiastic about heading to the States as uh, international visitors because of the tone of the country. Uh, we kind of felt it in 2016, 2017. Um, there was a definite shift. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, you're talking about the RDI RDIF, but that was also the year that they uh, built the secure um, uh, security tower inside of the convention center. You had um, security snipers and uh, 
things in place that were put there by the city around 2017 because obviously there was a lot of uh, uh, fears about um, security. The tone has changed um, and Caroline, I know for a fact, is not would not be overly enthusiastic um, if he gets re-elected. Re so there you go. There's um, there's uh, an advert to vote for uh, somebody else other than uh, Donald Trump. Don't vote for Donald Trump because otherwise we won't come back. And there's everyone else just going, well, that actually sounds like a really good idea. Uh, so <laughs> who knows? Um, but that, I mean, like I say, there's that that concerns me. Um, for yourself or what your thoughts are, can San Diego survive as well with a reduced number of people attending the convention? Because it does rely so much on the money coming in. We've already um, seen um, uh, Mayor Faulkner talking about the uh, how much money is left uh, has come out of the coffers with San Diego Comic Con not taking part this year. Um, I, I'm also fascinated by. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure you followed this like I have. I, I, I was enamored with the debate um, over the expansion of the convention center over the, the number of years. And I learned a lot about local San Diego politics, which was kind of fascinating and frustrating. And in hindsight, it's, it's just so frustrating that they didn't get it worked out to where this would be the year that they could have taken advantage of the fact that there's no convention yes. and done the construction. Um, but they've got, they've got all of their warring factions to where nothing gets done. Um, so that's another massive lost opportunity for them. Um, I hope that, that the answer uh, that comes around though is not based on economics, but on public safety. Um, sure. And I don't know enough of the players I mean, I know the, the gentleman who comes on your show, and what's, what's his name, David Glanzer? Uh, David Glanzer is the, he's the public face, he's the director of um, uh, media for uh, Comic-Con International. Basically, if um, there is a statement that comes out of Comic-Con, uh, Comic-Con uh, Comic International, it all goes through David's office. Um, it's the reason why you don't see many interviews with many other players from the CCI organization. Um, I have tried on numerous occasions, and um, we've got the likes of um, Clyde In Nee, uh, who may be watching, um, who is the director of the Artist Alley. We've got uh, the director of programming, um, and we've got people who I, I mean, I, I'm friends with these people, but they cannot come on the show because the, the, the person who is the direct communication is David Glanzer. Um, well, I'll, so when I'll I, turn this yeah. around and ask you a question then. Um, I so, mean, based on Mr. Glanzer, I would, I would personally have a lot more faith in, in someone like him making the decision because he seems like a, you know, uh, uh, a very thoughtful individual. Um, do you think that that's what will drive the decision, uh, public safety over economics? Uh, no. Um, I, gen I genuinely believe uh, that the, uh, while the organization is in the thousands, uh, when it comes to volunteers, when it comes to uh, the people that are in the committee. Um, I have been <laughs> sneaky enough to actually uh, be invited into one of the committee meetings that took place like two days before <laughs> the actual convention happened. And I snuck in 
just to kind of get a sense of what they were talking about and how the organization was uh, going. And um, there's a lot of manpower there, uh, obviously. Um, but it's still very much of the attitude for myself that it's eight people who are organizing this thing 50 years ago in, the, in, a, in a garage around some Pizza Hut uh, on a Friday evening with some beers in the hand just going let's all let's put on a show um, it's the reason why they want to keep it free um, or at least um, available to everybody they want to try and get as many people uh, when I say free I mean democratized in terms of how many people can actually buy badges uh, it's the reason why they uh, try to keep uh, the, the options open for new people to come in um, it's the reason why um, when People have been talking about um, charging for other outside events, say uh, at the theatre or um, at, um, at the Marriott or wherever. Know that if you buy your badge, you get access to that. Um, so it, the, it's a very West Coast democratized kind of, hey man, let's, let's put on a show kind of thing. Uh, so they are very much about the, the fans. They're about the people that are attending. It's when they go non when they say non profit, and yes, there is a lot of money in the organization for Comic Con International. Um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of money going out as well, so uh, it, it all it's all ebb and flow. And they the priority for them is the the people attending. For me, that's how I how I see it. And, so, and if it wasn't the case, um, if it was more about a commercial venture very much like New York Comic Con. It's the reason why I appreciate New York Comic Con, but I don't love it. I love San Diego Comic Con because it is for the fans. So that's that's my take on it. I'm, I'm also very fascinated about what's going to happen with some of the regional shows. I, I'm a big fan of Heroes Con, um, and they are an early June show, um, which means it's it's going to be right at the beginning of that time frame where if the if the rumors are true uh a vaccine might be starting to get distributed to the third wave of quote unquote normal people right around then um so everybody's decision making is going to be very difficult there um i i will have to make a a a, a decision based on both personal safety and also you know i I need to start promoting my work. Um, everything sure. is um, everything is a year behind in terms of my ability to do cer certain things because of what we've had this year. Um, and have you, have, you been, have you done any reaching out to people for virtual cons and putting out uh, panel content, promoting your work as part of uh, any virtual events? I haven't done that yet. Uh, most of the the shows that I had targeted this year were, were kind of more physical in nature. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the folks that have managed to do that, like what they've done with Baltimore and other shows, uh, that that's amazing. Um, uh, so uh, I've, I've, I've been impressed by um, what people have been able to do. I, I just think that there's, there's, there's unfortunately no substitute when you're, when you're at the breaking in phase of having a table, being able to interact with people, be, having them be able to flip through your books um, and ask you questions and decide whether or not 
go get the thing, you know? Sure. So, so um, I think that's, and, and plus the, the, the physical proximity to peers and, and industry leaders to where you can uh, have conversations with people in the hallway and ask them questions, you know? Um, one of the best opportunities I got in comics, I was able to pitch something to uh, a publisher that I admire. And I think that was largely due to like a, a, a personal interaction. Um, so those sorts of things are still very, very valuable. Um, and I, I fear we may have another year where we've got to, we've got to put a pause on all of that activity, but, um, next year is definitely going to be fascinating because I think people are growing weary of the situation and some people are going to want to force going back to normal when it's not safe. So I just, I, I, I'm completely at a loss as to what's going to happen. What do you feel is the convention where we will get a, a strong sense of what we can expect from 2021? Is it WonderCon? Is it C2E2? Um, how far into the year do you think? Because I, 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 I agree. Um, I, I believe that there's going to be a real fatigue where people are going to want to just force normality normality back into uh, the, the the game and i think it's going to be once christmas and new year is over and done with because over here in the uk and i suspect in the, in the states as well there is a, a real sense of um we're going to try and celebrate um the the holiday season the best we can but mm -hmm. it's going to be very much a case of uh, a, a reduced kind of capacity as it were but I think once the 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 kind of like the bright lights of 2021 uh, come upon us, people are just going to go, okay, we've had enough now. Uh, let's yeah, yeah. let's go. But um, then it's a case of organisations, convention organisations, um, retailers, um, vendors, artists, actually just going. Well, you may be wanting these shows to go ahead, and yes. Some conventions may get themselves up and running, but we ain't going. We're not getting on it. We're not risking it. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious to see. I mean, it's I, I I we talked about San Diego, but I think I it's be interesting to see what all conventions are going to look like. Um, yeah. Not just line management, not just guests wearing masks and stuff, but just how many guests are actually going to show up? What? Yeah. Who, who are the guests that are going to show up as in are we talking like covid deniers uh, yeah. certain style of talent that's just going to go hell to the wind let's let's just get it done so it, yeah. that that could change a tone of a convention I, I it's just so many variables that's the thing and i think that's yeah where a lot of people I hope are going to watch my channel and what the unofficial blog and what friends of CCI are going to do, because we're going to have to keep a real close eye on this shit. Yeah. And I, I think it'll be a fascinating, like, uh, progression. Like I, I think the canary in the coal mine might even be, um, Emerald city perhaps because it's early enough in the year to where I think it would be, too early to believe that enough people will have been vaccinated uh but it's also a comics show so you've got to some of those people have got to think well wait a minute we can maybe manage this show because it's it's not going to be overwhelmed by like you know fans wanting to see jason momoa 
you know, um, uh, it's, 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 it might be able to be tempted to think you can put some order into that chaos. Um, so I think those folks will have a very tough decision. And then C2E2, I think, will be right at that joint point um, where maybe a lot of us will make the wrong decision. I don't know. Um, sure. And then, and then it'll, I think it'll all culminate into San Diego. So I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly fascinating. Um, I, and I really don't have any good ideas. <laughs> no. I mean, if there's anything that I feel I can take away from what we can expect from next year, and yes, we can speculate about the actual physical, phys physical conventions as much as we like. I think the one thing that we're going to take away is that virtual convention or virtual online content um, is here to stay. Uh, I think there's so much that has been put into it. The technology is there now. Um, the the level and quality of the content is now a, a, a strong enough state where it's going to be a permanent alongside um, concurrent fe feature of um, conventions. So I'm really curious to see if we're going to see a resurgence in Comic-Con HQ. Comic-Con HQ died on its ass because no one wanted to pay for it. Um, and certainly not wanting to pay for a kind of G4 uh, substitute, which yeah. it, they, they wanted to actually see the panels. They wanted to actually yeah. just enjoy the con. Yeah, if, if you know, at every panel of note I've ever been to, there's been an official San Diego person recording something. So I know that they've got troves of content that they've never released. Um, and even if they didn't have that, just one year of recording every panel at the show, I think a lot of people would just want to buy a video pass. Um, sure. uh, one of the things I liked about this year's show was, you know, every single panel that I would have wanted to see, I can see it's online. So that that's very intriguing as well. Which ones of the virtual conventions do you feel have, have done it right um, in terms of uh, the content they put out, uh, the way they've approached their channel, uh, the way that they've kind of got uh, out there. Was it DC Fandom? Was it? Because, uh, I mean, that's a whole other conversation as well, whether we're actually going to see DC appearing at any conventions anytime soon, because they have just nailed their market and uh, what they've done with DC Fandom. Um, what's, what's been the organization that you feel has actually done the best job of getting content and keeping engagement going? with the audience because i think that's the key it's a case of you can put as much content up, up as you like but if you can engage with your audience that's when it works which is the one that you feel has, has done it best um i have unfortunately not paid as much attention to this face as i should have and i've i've mainly been seeing you're not sort of out, <laughs> out of out of context um clips from creators that i follow um, I think the one show, what is the one that had a very green logo? Um, I'm, uh, gosh, I can't remember the title of it, but I can picture the, the graphics in my head. Is um, it a TV show? No, the, the, the con itself. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, every font of the, the, like the overlay of all the guests was like this big, loud green color. Um, but I can't that remember. Which like, that sounds like mainframe. I think it might like have been mainframe, mainframe, mainframe think, Comic Con, yeah. 
I think mainframe, the, the things I saw there were really good. Um, but I was mainly paying attention to people that I, that I already admire. So I, I, was, I was maybe a biased uh, audience member there. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I think that's also the, the other conversation that you can have about uh, virtual cons and conventions landscape as it is, uh, because uh, another example where I bring uh, Caroline uh, into the equation. Uh, Caroline is a Comic-Con fan. She's as deep a nerd as I am. She loves Comic-Cons. She hasn't seen any virtual conventions this year. She has not been remotely interested. And I think there's a lot of people that have just gone, no, uh, the reason why we go to Comic-Con is to not just see that person interesting up on the stage. It's to sit with our friends and bond and join the community and join the family and make new family. Because we do, we make our own family at these, at these shows. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's it's a strong strong bond um and yeah. that's what we celebrate so i think when i say control alt delete and the fact that um i'm wondering how many people are actually going to go to conventions going forward i think it the reason why i ask it is because i'm wondering if we have basically had a year where people have just gone well is it worth spending all that time money and effort to go to these shows now we've had a year where we can't at the other side of it are they just going to go do we have to i hope not because, I, I, because the, I, they can continue that sort of like community online i think that in various dimensions of life uh i think some things are gonna uh shift uh, irrevocably um but um the I think the social public space thing, the fact that we've all had to uh, voluntarily or involuntarily remove ourselves from these things is going to make us uh, treasure them even more when they're available again. Um, and uh, what you said about the bonding part, I, I definitely miss that. I miss being around the fellow travelers. Um, San Diego is the most uh, extreme version of this, but at, at, at any show, um, I get my batteries and my spirit recharged uh, just by being immersed among the fellow travelers. And there's always this kind of great moment. You'll see like a really clever costume, um, and and you'll be like, "Those are my people." Yes, those are my people. And then of course you'll see something idiotic, and you'll be cringing and going, "Oh, oh no." These are my people, but <laughs> but uh, I think that experience is irreplaceable, and I hope that um, you know. I think you're right that a lot of things are going to be reimagined, and there is going to be a control alt delete. Um, but I I still think that there's going to be a desire for that in person experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm just to put it out there uh, for people who are watching. Um, I was being a bit doom and gloom then. Uh, but I'm hoping, I mean, yeah, I mean, we heard it from, uh, David Glanzer when he's been interviewed, we've heard it from the organizers of New York. We've heard it from all of these, um, convention organizers where they feel that there is going to be a real snapback. There's going to be people who are craving to, uh, to, to interact. So I'm, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see just where we are. Uh, certainly from next year and um, how that's going to to play out. So, uh, no, thank you very much indeed for uh, 
uh, to kind of like hashing out those thoughts and certainly having thoughts of your own uh, on that. So thank you. Um, let's talk about some um, the upcoming project then, uh, which uh, is it sounds fascinating, frankly. Um, I mean, let's talk about the the the, the, the kind of the genesis of it, the origin, the story. Uh, yeah, please go ahead and uh, explain about this uh, book that's coming out. You say in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, um, it was originally slated to be out uh, next Wednesday, October the twenty eighth. However, as with many things in the COVID world, um, just the distribution pipeline uh, for a lot of publishers seems to be about one week behind uh, all the time. So uh, the best knowledge I have at the moment is the book is going to be released on November the 4th. Um, and uh, the book is Thompson Heller, Detective Interstellar. It's a story about a private detective that goes around the galaxy uh, solving cases, and he usually takes on cases that have sort of a ethical uh, dimension, uh, a, a bit of uh, public controversy conflict involved. Um, and it's a three-issue miniseries. Each issue is a standalone issue where our detective character goes to a different planet and is presented with a new mystery. So it's kind of a, each story is a one-and-done mystery. But there is also uh, a character arc that goes throughout the entire miniseries. So if you read the whole thing, you get another layer of experience as well. Uh, the book is drawn by the fantastic Dave Chisholm, who has already had a great year with the miniseries Canopus. And he's about to unleash on the world a freaking masterpiece um, about the life of the jazz legend Charlie Parker um, called Chasing the Bird. And you're going to want to be an early adopter on Dave because I really think there's going to be a lot of strong Eisner buzz for his uh, jazz book. Um, and he did phenomenal work on Thompson Heller, Detective Interstellar. Uh, he's got a really loose art style. Um, we've got a bit of a classic sci-fi vibe going on. And it's a bit of a space noir kind of story. So um, if you like that kind of stuff, uh, this will be your uh, your cup of tea. <laughs> I mean, it looks fantastic. I'm also loving the trailer as well, uh, which we've, uh, we're running at the moment on the on the screen. Uh, and you're right, the artwork looks fantastic. It just definitely looks um, uh, a compelling piece of uh, uh, storytelling. How long has this been uh, kind of like noodling around in, in your head for the, at this point? This one actually, believe it or not, is probably about six years in the making. Wow. Um, there was, um, it was kind of like a beta version of this story uh, that got developed um, and was kind of in line with uh, a, a slightly different publishing arrangement and a different art team. And um, as with many creative projects, as after you get into a certain uh, length of, of the collaboration, um, it just turns out things aren't totally working out right. And you have to do a little bit of a reset. Um, and that's what happened. So we kind of um, did a reset. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, on, the, on the real version of the project, uh, hook up with Dave Chisholm and Fabian Kobos, the colorist. Um, the book itself started as a response to a challenge in the comics experience workshop 
the one I mentioned earlier that's run by uh, Andy Schmidt. Um, and it was presented as a, a challenge to create a new character. And one of the, one of the creators that's like a, uh, you know, a, a fellow of the workshop uh, explained that there was a, a character creating technique that he called a quote unquote borrowed character. And the reason it's called a borrowed character is if you're on a deadline and you need to create a new character for something and you're just fresh out of ideas, one way that you can sort of force uh, a new creative character into being is to sort of take two known elements and cram them together. And so the example that he gave was, okay, imagine uh, a known character and then either combine them with another character or put them in a completely different context. And that in and of itself will create a new character. And the example he always used was imagine the, uh, the freedom fighter uh, from Braveheart. Uh, <laughs> imagine that character, but then transport him in a different context, have him be a Starfleet captain in the world of Star Trek. And just through that juxtaposition of removing that character from his native element, uh, you can imagine, oh my goodness, this is a completely new character uh, and I can run with storytelling with this guy. So they said, use that same technique to create a new character, which is what I did. And I created Thompson Heller and I wrote a short little eight page short to sort of introduce his world and his concept. Um, and it was very well received. And so I expanded it into a one issue and then expanded it into a three issue. Uh, I mean, I'm, uh, it's great that you're actually getting the book out there. It's going, it's being published by uh, SourcePoint. Um, I'm curious as to why you did go to direct market, why perhaps you didn't go to um, crowdfunding. What was, what was your thoughts, processes on that? Well, the main thought process there was, um, I still feel that most uh, of the core audience I want to reach out to and begin building relationships with are the people who are going to the direct market, are the people who go into the local comic shop. I definitely want to expand further into other dimensions as well, uh, but I, I still feel like that's where I want to get the, the foothold. And um, I felt that the, you know, the art team was so strong, uh, it should be compelling for a small publisher. Um, and I reached out to a number of small publishers. Um, and SourcePoint has a number of factors going for it, primary of which is the people there are just, they're just good people. They're fantastic people. They have a strong relationship with the Comics Experience Workshop that I'm a member of. Um, so that's how the introductions are made. Um, and I've been able to witness, they've got a great ground game. They have a very strong convention presence. And not only do they have a presence, they've got, they've got this, the floor sales mentality down to science. You know, you walk by their booth and those guys, they're just, they interact with fans in a really good way. Um, and having those guys as ambassadors for, for one of my projects is just, a phenomenal idea and um, of course the fact that we're in this COVID world is a little bit weird at the moment so uh, that part of the calculus might not fully come into being until maybe 2022 
but um, you know, that's that's sort of the genesis and the and the, the destination there. Well, I mean, certainly uh, it's a great support system to have uh, as well, uh, and not only that, but uh, you're absolutely right. And certainly the, uh, the 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 perception I have of Source Point is very much like Vault um, in that it's a very small core group of um, people um, who love the art form. Uh, they want to show as much support as they can to the creators that come uh, out of their uh, stable. Then they don't want to get into um, anything uh, too... They don't want to get into the weeds of the industry. They just want to put out really good, strong books. Uh, and what I, I get from SourcePoint is that um, they've got to maybe up their marketing game a little bit, but the uh, certainly the social media uh, chatter when you talk to them and when fans talk to them, they, they're very positive. And uh, no, I'm, I'm a fan very much of, um, of, of Source Point. So uh, no, they're a good, good home to be at. To very, yeah. And like you say, it's um, a book that um, has been delayed. Um, what's been that kind of uh, challenge in, uh, in terms of when you feel that, the, or when SourcePoint have decided to put the book out? Well, I went into this year with the expectation that um, we, we could maybe be an early spring book. And um, they, they happened to have a lot of balls in the air and hadn't made a quite firm decision right when COVID really started uh, affecting the scene. And so the conversation was still a little bit up in the air right at the point, but we still had a vague understanding. And then um, with my book in particular, it became part of a, hey, we just don't know, dude. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And it was just this long game of, we don't even know when we're gonna know and then when we did know it was the kind of thing like oh hey you remember a couple of those last minute detail tweaks that we were talking about um or we didn't even tell you about um we need those tomorrow <laughs> you know it, it was one of those kind of things it's like the the files had been sitting on the server for literally like over a year and then it's like oh by the way we got to do this 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 and this and we need it can you do it tonight uh, if not, definitely by tomorrow. <laughs> so it, it was it was definitely one of those kind of like nothing, 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 and then oh my gosh, you know, wake up uh, right into the thick of it. Yeah, but like I say, I mean, what I've seen, and I also like the fact that, like you say, it's a three issue miniseries. It's it's not going to stretch um, a, a, a budget when someone wants to get into a book and. Uh, you know, when you read about some series where it's going to be eight, 10, 12 issues or whatever, and you just, it's three issues, it's done and done, um, which is, uh, it's, it's, it's snappy, it, it has a, it can, it's got its own built-in energy uh, in just having uh, the three issues. And like I say, it looks incredible. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about um, what uh, is going to be going on with this particular book. And uh, yeah, we've got it up on the screen at the moment. The artwork looks incredible. And uh, yeah, I really am. Um, any kind of uh, story which uh, has that kind of uh, sort of um, detective noir, noir vibe to it, but with a little bit of an acerbic edge. I'm 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 all I'm down for that. So no, it oh. looks incredible. And uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. So no, very much looking forward to supporting this when the book uh, goes uh, uh, hit shelves in two weeks' time. So yeah, where's the best place for people to 
find out more information? Uh, where, where do you mostly live online when it comes to sharing updates? Mostly on Twitter. I'm, I'm a creature of Twitter. Uh, and in fact, you can see it uh, on the, cor the column of my website there. Um, I'm at Citizen Milton on Twitter. Yeah, I'm just about to uh, put that up so at least uh, people can uh, uh, see it and uh, yeah, head to uh, the the the, uh, uh, the 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 actual site. But like I say, I mean, I've been putting up the URL for MiltonLawson.com as well, which is where you can see all of this uh, the the artwork and all the updates as well uh, for what uh, uh, Milton's been putting up. But yes, on Twitter, Citizen Milton um, at uh, on Twitter, very much uh, worth checking out. Um, I'm excited for the book, and uh, yeah, I'm really uh, excited for, to see what else is going to be coming from you down the line. So, uh, listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much indeed for coming on, and uh, we look forward to uh, supporting the book when uh, when it arrives. Thank you so much. Yes, and and I I I can rub my evil hands together and say there are plans for next year as well. I just can't <laughs> really talk about them at length. So. Um, can you give us uh, a little so bit much. of? Uh, can you can you give us a satellite view? What what are you, what we're we talking? We're we talking a comic. Are we talking what we what we're looking at? Um, I do have a comic um, that is in the works. Um, it is called uh, Orson Welles, Warrior of the Worlds, and oh, okay. it's a it's a comic that has the premise: uh, What if Orson Welles's infamous radio broadcast about an alien invasion from Earth was actually real? Hey. And the answer, and the answer to that is, well, of course, Mr. Wells gets drawn into a secret life defending Earth from aliens, um, and we weave in a lot of his true biographical uh, events in his life, uh, and explain certain gaps in his uh, oeuvre and quirky things about his biography as being actually the result of uh, various alien encounters. Um, and it's got art by uh, a man named Eric Whalen, uh, and uh, it's still in the works, so I, I can't give you a, a firm estimate as to when it's going to come out, uh, but the work that's being done on the art side so far is just really fantastic, and I think everybody's going to dig it. As an Orson Welles fan, um, I, I'm excited. I'm up for that. Uh, that, that can be interesting. I'd like to see how you're going to fold in kind of like um, how the man got gregarious at the back end of his uh, career. So let's see how far you're going to get into uh, into his uh, lifestyle in that regard. So no, I'm up for that. That's great. Brilliant. Thank you so much indeed for coming on, Milton. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, and hopefully we'll see you at conventions uh, down the line um, when we get to the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, sir. Same. Same as well. Excellent stuff. Look after yourself and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Um, I'm going to put that um, URL back up on screen because it is well worth uh, checking out. Um, MiltonLawson.com. Uh, you saw some uh, glimpses of uh, uh, Thompson Heller. Uh, yeah, Detective Interstellar, which is a great title in its own, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but uh, yeah, really excited to see uh, how, how that book um, it gets um, received, especially as um, it's something that is going straight to shelves, um, and it is a it's a an interesting uh, landscape when it comes to comics uh, in the direct market at the moment. It's a case of fighting for every uh, sort of like shelf space you can. So all the best to Milton on that um, and uh, all the success to it in the world.
Excellent stuff. Right, um, we're going to get into uh, some bits and pieces. Uh, thank you very much indeed to our Patreon supporters for uh, sticking with us for this show. A little bit longer than usual, but uh, that's fine. Uh, I do want to get into um, uh, what we're going to be getting uh, our conversation uh, in the next couple of weeks because we have ourselves some great guests. So I do want to talk about those. Uh, so let's bring up uh, just a couple of uh, updates when it comes to our guests uh, for the uh, next few weeks. And also this week as well, because we've got ourselves a special guest that's going to be joining us on Thursday. We've got a special um, incidental episode, which uh, is um, uh, something that we do every once in a while when we get the chance to uh, get a guest that perhaps uh, isn't able to join us on a Sunday or if perhaps, <laughs> as it happens, we've got a full roster of shows uh, for the uh, upcoming weeks. So um, we've got ourselves a special guest that's going to be joining us. Dan Waters is somebody who I am a big fan of. If I, in fact, I can actually just lean over and just grab a book. Um, if I just bring uh, this up onto the screen, this is um, Lucifer, uh, which uh, was part of the Sandman universe, which this is actually a quite a good book you want to track down for Halloween uh, because this was a scary piece of work. Um, the, the great artwork and also just fantastic writing. Dan Waters is an immense talent. He's part of the White Noise Studio group of uh, creators uh, who are a bunch of people who started out as being uh, just a real strong collection of uh, talent, writing, artists, whatever. But over the last couple of years, because uh, I did a panel for their kind of coming out party at MCM Comic Con uh, around this time two years ago, at, uh, and they were just kind of like ex uh, telling their plans for what they've got coming up and how they kind of like bounce off each other. Uh, Alex Patnadel, Dan Walters, uh, what Waters, sorry, um, uh, who else? Uh, just uh, Ram V, all of which have gone on to become incredible superstars in comics. We are going to be doing a white noise panel um, at some point in November. Um, put November, beginning of December, but um, looking forward to talking to them. Uh, but we've got Dan Waters specifically because he's got some great uh, individual projects coming up, um, certainly in the, the back end of this year. It's going to be a pleasure talking to Dan. That's um, Wednesday, uh, so do join us. Uh, same time, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Well, sorry, get this right, 6 p.m. GMT, certainly. So uh, we're talking um, 11 p.m., uh, sorry, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and it's on Wednesday the 28th, so do join us for that episode. Then, uh, on next Sunday, we've got ourselves a bit of a, a packed um, a guest list, because we have ourselves uh, Max Gedney, Ramsey, Julian Parry, and Simon Delafond. Now, Max Gedney is the guy that uh, has put together Story Worlds Media. It's a UK comics house, um, a comics pub publisher released in 2020 which is bold um at the end of the day that's something to really kind of celebrate that they've taken the they're taking the effort to uh, to get out there and um sort of like release books by some incredible talent ramsey is a fantastic uh, talent on the independent circuit here in the uk julian parry simon delfond all of these are great talents we're going to be talking about the challenges of launching a uk comics publisher in 2020 so that's going to be next Sunday, uh, Story Worlds with Max Gedney. The week after, we have ourselves our Vault Comics special. Now, this I'm uh, also looking forward to. This is going to be on the 8th of uh, November. 
Damien and Adrian Russell. So we've got the the boys, we've got the brothers, and we've got David Disanyaki, who's their um, uh, director of press and their, their kind of like their public face, as it were. Um, Vault Comics have gone from strength to strength. Um, they are, for me, one of the most exciting publishers out there. Uh, they are telling some really, really cool stories. So that's Vault Comics. So that's going to be on the 8th. Then uh, on the 15th, Scotty Young is going to be joining us. Uh, Scotty is uh, obviously the legendary artist uh, behind the works of, uh, uh, for example, The Wonderful World of Oz, uh, the uh, um, I Hate Fairyland, and all the, uh, the variant covers that you know and love. He's an incredible artist, and we're lucky to get to talk to Scotty Young. That's going to be on the November uh, the 15th show. And then on the 22nd, we are going to be talking to Mike uh, Ciccini. Now, this may not be a name that you are familiar with, but you know the site that he is the editor-in-chief for. He is the guy behind Den of Geek, uh, which is meaning that he's somebody who's got um, a real peripheral vision on how media is being created in 2020, what we can expect in 2021, what we can expect. I mean, hopefully by the time we get to speak to Mike um, at the, uh, in uh, November, We'll get to know about um, Black Widow, about uh, Free Guy, about um, Coming to America, about all of these big projects and big films that are the ones that were supposed to get us back into the cinemas. We're going to see where we are with that. Uh, but uh, Mike Ciccini, the editor-in-chief of um, Den of Geek, going to be joining us. Uh, that is going to be on November the 22nd. So please do uh, join us for that. Keep us, uh, we'll keep you up to date with all the um, updates uh, when it comes to the uh, uh, upcoming uh, episodes. So looking forward to, uh, to that. Uh, but we also have ourselves uh, just a bit of a, a graphic here. Uh, oh, yes, we have another incidental episode as well. On Thursday, the 12th of November, we are going to be joined by Heather Antos, um, who's a cracking editor. She's um, the person that oversees Valiant, uh, but also has um, a fair amount of history when it comes to uh, comics and um, fandoms. So going to be great to talk to Heather. That's on Thursday, the 12th of November. And there you go, wrapping up the, the month, White Noise Studios, Alex Patnadel, Ram V, Dan Waters, and Ryan O'Sullivan all join us for the uh, Sunday, 29th of November show. So that is the lineup coming up. Right. Um, let's get into um, something which, uh, well, let's talk about some the uh, the virtual convention landscape at the moment. We have a virtual convention which is happening as we speak uh, and uh, is obviously doing um, great guns. We were we mentioned it very briefly uh, on the uh, our chat with, uh, with Milton, which is Mainframe Comic Con. Uh, Mainframe is a, an organization that have been putting um, shows on uh, over the course of the summer, they were pretty much were the first ones to do a virtual Comic Con straight out of the gate. Uh, they are uh, an organization that have uh, they just grabbed hold of this platform which I use, which is uh, StreamYard, got guests in, uh, talked to some great comic guests, and just had the opportunity and they ran with it uh, to the extent where they have now paired with Baltimore Comic Con and this weekend. They are talking to some great guests. Uh, for example, uh, they're doing it also. Something they did over the last couple of uh, uh, episodes, um, uh, editions, is the uh, uh, the multiple halls. So, for example, here, this is Sunday Hall uh, A. They've got the likes of Katie Cook, Michael Marisi, Charles Sewell, Greg Pack, 
that's incredible. Now, admittedly, it's showing down here that it's only one watching, which is us, but they are also going out on the, the um, uh, other channels as well. It's going out on Word Balloon. Uh, it's also going out on uh, Comic Pop as well. So they're kind of actually on oh, Comic Corpse as well. They're very, it's possibly something I could criticize that they are possibly diversing too much and therefore they're not consolidating uh, an actual audience. Um, but that's their choice. That's what they, I think they just wanted to, like myself, when I <laughs> send out to Twitch and Periscope and YouTube and Facebook, I want to try and reach as many people as possible. And I think that's what they're trying to do with this particular uh, lineup. So Hall A there, you had a, a cracking bunch of comic creators. And it is all comic based, um, you'll see. Um, so you'll, you'll, you've got the likes of here in uh, Hall Bay, Erica Schultz, Stan Sakai, who had a very good night last night, uh, Alex Aguirre. Uh, Dean Hasbell, Dave Kelly, and uh, moderated there by uh, Whitney Matheson as well. I'm not going to show too much of the actual um, uh, content because I don't want to get flagged uh, when it comes to uh, uh, the actual uh, shows. Um, but what they've been doing with um, this particular uh, uh, live show and this particular lineup has been so impressive, especially when it comes to comic content. Um, they don't do they don't do much in terms of. Uh, um, uh, multimedia. If they do, it's mostly animation, and even then, it's kind of comic aligned. So they are very much celebrating comics, which is great. Uh, they've teamed up with uh, John Suntras from uh, Word Balloon, so you've got all of that content as well, or uh, connections there. You've got, uh, uh, like, say, Comic Pop as well. They've got a fair uh, number of people that they uh, can bring in on board. You've got chuckload of comics as well. Just bringing it all together has just been impressive. Um, they haven't had the numbers. Uh, I mean, if I just bring up the, uh, the actual screen there, they, the subscribers, I mean, 372. I think I've got more than that, which is a bit dis disturbing. People need to support these um, uh, this channel, and I think you need to support Mainframe Comic Con because what they've been doing uh, is, is just, for me, groundbreaking. It, it, they've been very ambitious with what they do. No more so than last night. Uh, as part of Baltimore Comic Con, they are always the host of the Ringo Awards, which is uh, the celebration not only of Mike Waringo, uh, who is uh, a legendary artist, uh, but also just the, uh, the celebration of some really fantastic talent. Last night, the idea was uh, to have uh, an introduction, have a host introducing a number of categories, as the categories were being read out, grab as many of the people that were being nominated and put them into a waiting room. I mean, if you've seen the light layout, which I can do on here, putting them all to the side and then introducing the winner, letting them know live on the stream and bringing them in. The restrictions when it comes to StreamYard, in case you uh, don't particularly know, you can bring in uh, up to 10 guests into a waiting room in the background and then have up to six people on screen. That's a lot of spinning of plates, and it's a lot of messaging in the background. You're saying, okay, we need you to click on the link now. We need you to jump in and take part in this. And they had a lot of technical issues last night. But if I compare that with the Eisners, which was a pre-recorded setup, um, I enjoyed the Ringo Awards more. It was more sp spontaneous. It was more live. It was more real. Um, some great people being um, celebrated as well. Stan Sakai, like I say, I think he won three of the Ringo Awards, um, including uh, Best Creator, Best Book as well. Um, oh, sorry, Best Anthology. Um, 
just some amazing people that are being celebrated. And uh, do check out uh, Ringo Awards um, on their Twitter and also on uh, Facebook as well for the full listing of uh, uh, winners because I think they just did an amazing job of that particular lineup. And what they've done, like I say, with Mainframe Comic Con has just blown me away. Um, hopefully, I'd like to try and get more aligned. I'd love to be a, a panel host for them, perhaps. I'd love to be more involved with what they're doing, but I'm fingers crossed on that one. At the end of the day, they've got a great collection of people involved already. They don't need me by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I would love to be more involved because they are just a, a great, positive bunch of people wanting to talk about comics and embrace the fandom and just really celebrate stuff. And that's great. I, I, I cannot deny that at all. On the other side of the spectrum then, we do have another uh, event that took place two weeks ago, which was New York Comic Con, or at least the virtual version of it, October 8th to 11th over the course of uh, those um, uh, uh, three days, uh, which took place uh, under the, the banner of Metaverse, uh, New York Comic Con Metaverse or NYCC Metaverse and MCM Metaverse, because it wasn't just the New York uh, convention. They also tried to fold in the other business um, aspect of it, which is MCM Comic Con here in the UK. The thing that uh, I want to talk about is just the uh, level of interaction. What they did with their shows, um, slightly different to how they, uh, say, San Diego Comic-Con did theirs. San Diego Comic-Con created the videos, uploaded them, and put them as, um, and just made them private or made them public. So when it came to a certain time of the day, they made that video public, and people could watch it. There's no comments. There was no interaction. Here, on the other hand, they did them as YouTube premieres. The videos were uploaded. There was a countdown. There was a, a, a definite time when the panel was going to start. Um, and uh, that allowed also for Q&A. Uh, perhaps people that were involved in the panel could also jump in on the Q&A and interact with fans. And there was a real kind of um, community and a real kind of audience to the, the whole thing. Um, I think it's safe to say that um, the numbers aren't exactly incredible. They, I mean, there's certainly they've grown over the course of the last um, last two weeks. I don't know where my camera's going there, but uh, just kicked it on the foot. But um, considering that we've got the likes, I mean, some pretty good. It's a real varied um, uh, set of numbers when it comes to who was watching. But the fact that you've got the likes of um, Love Lovecraft country uh, a panel about the actual um uh, illustrations for the the series and the kind of uh uh the the, the two workshop panels for the series you have lovecraft country at 1.1 thousand views and lovecraft country special effects makeup masterclass 486 views um that ain't great um live q a with gene loon yang who was a, um, uh, a Ringo Award winner last night for Superman Smashes the Clan, 300 views. X-Men Evolution from Angel to an Early, uh, History of uh, Mutants, 435 views. But then you do have the likes of Anime, Nostalgia, and uh, McNuggets with Heavenly Controller, uh, clocking in 27,000 views. Um, you've got 
let's have a, a quick uh, look down the, the line. And let's look at the, the a couple of the headliners. In fact, I think I can probably sort by most popular. Here we go. Let's have a look at the big ones that, uh, that came on. <laughs> Shocker or surprise, Steven Universe at 555,000 views. Oh, that's four years ago. Let's have a look at uh, a little bit more uh, up to date. Okay, so the one that would, um, yeah, I can tell by the uh, the the, uh, the, the um, thumbnail that they've used. So 191,000 views for the boys cast interview. Okay. Discovery of Witches season two, 151,000 views. Uh, you've got Marvel's Modoc first look at 104,000 views. And also uh, Sam Hune and uh, Graham McTavish trivia deathmatch, 113,000 views. Um, Umbrella, Umbrella Academy at 70,000. Um, Animaniacs at 73,000. Smallville cast at 59,000. We're talking, they're, they're okay numbers, but they're not groundbreaking numbers. And I think that's going to make MCM really think about how they were received as a virtual convention. Um, we also had two weeks ago the Lakes International Comic Art Festival. Uh, that was a totally different uh, affair. When I say uh, that they were concentrating on comic creators, we're not talking kind of mainstream comic creators. We're talking real niche, um, uh, independent, um, perhaps manga. Uh, they really kind of get into some real uh, investigating of creators that perhaps not many people would know. And it was a great eye-opener for a whole bunch of people. Then yet you also had um, the likes of uh, um, Charlie Adelard and Dave Gibbons and Mark Miller showing up for uh, the uh, uh, Desert Island Comics, which was a good series of uh, videos that they put out. I think the Lakes International Comic Art Festival uh, live version, or uh, the virtual version, went well. I think the New York was incredibly slick. Uh, and went well. But the level of interaction, um, I feel, has been lost. Um, and it happened since DC Fandom. It was almost like that was the pinnacle. That was the San Diego Comic-Con for this year. It was the big show. And then it was a case of everyone just going, okay, we've had our vir virtual fix now. Okay. And then the conversation has died. And I think that's a little bit dis disappointing and distressing when so many good people are putting out so much good content. Um, I think people are thinking to themselves, yes, panel's a panel and a video's a video, but what about the group interaction, the uh, the kind of like the group watch thing? Um, how about uh, just... I think that's the thing they need to crack. They need to crack an audience watching as one and interacting with each other and really bouncing off um, each other, watching something. I think they need to crack the whole other aspect of conventions um, in terms of uh, discovering a creator, perhaps, and a random panel. I think that's something that needs to happen, kind of just a, a, a stream that uh, is going on when guests can come on board which maybe not are announced and then it becomes more of a freewheeling event you are discovering stuff at a convention maybe that's something that needs to be introduced who knows um i'm kind of free freewheeling here um it's a case of what conventions can do with uh, uh the the landscape and with the technology to hand mainframe 
been very ambitious uh, and I, it's been fun to watch. I'm not going to lie. It's been great to see the ambition and the ambition being realized. But now it's a case of, okay, we can see what the technology can do and we can see what guests we can get on board. But now it's a case of engaging with the fans. That's the nugget we need to crack. Because if we don't, then we really are going to be in a real dearth of uh, convention interaction and that community. And shows like this will be the only kind of group therapy that we'll come have together until uh, we actually have conventions back in whatever form that we have them uh, in 2020, 2021. So there we go. That's where I am at, with my thoughts. Do go check them out, um, however. Um, like I say, they're on their own websites. They've got uh, New York Comic Con, um, which you can find still, and find the metaverse, which is still their, their kind of like their home for what they've got um, happening. Uh, you've got Mainframe Comic Con as well. Or Mainframe Comic Con Live, or Baltimore Comic Con Live. Uh, yeah, do check the check the channels out. Um, Mainframe, subscribe. Um, all of these channels, subscribe. Show some support. Show some interaction. Likewise with myself. Uh, if you won't mind, please do uh, show support to this channel by interacting down below um, and uh, showing support uh, for what we do because it's the only way that uh, we can keep the interaction going. So please do uh, like and subscribe. In fact, I've got myself a little bit of an animation somewhere. Like and subscribe, of course. Um, just click below, hit subscribe, hit notification, and it'll let you know when we're live with our shows. And of course, do follow us on our social media on Facebook at An Englishman in San Diego, on Instagram, on YouTube, and on Twitter at Englishman SDCC. Um, we'll do our best to keep the conversation going and we'll do our best to uh, keep the, the community alive but the only way you can do that is by interacting and uh, supporting us um, and watching each time we do talking con a cup of tea with an englishman in san diego i'm back again next sunday please do join me uh, no tell a lie i'm going to be back on wednesday when we talk to dan waters it's our incidental episode um it's going to be at 6 p.m gmt do join us with this conversation with a true comics talent um and he's got some great content and uh, books coming down the line the man knows how to uh, get under your skin as a comics writer take care enjoy the rest of your week uh, the audio version of this podcast will be up on spotify on itunes and on soundcloud again like and subscribe comment let us know what you're thinking let us know your thoughts on the future of comic cons in 2021 uh, what do you feel uh, we're going to be uh, experiencing? Uh, is it going to be smaller crowds? Is it going to be, who knows? Let's let's find out. Let's get uh, some conversation. Comment down below. Let us know what you're thinking. And um, let's hopefully see each other uh, safe and well um, in whatever form, in as soon as humanly possible. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. For myself and Sultana, from uh, Milton Lawson, uh, and uh, from everyone watching, take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye. -bye. This has been Talking Com, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. This has been a production of the Convention Collective. 
follow all the pop culture and convention news at theconventioncollective.com and support the podcast at patreon.com slash englishmanstcc.